Every day, people call my office looking for help. A loved one has not left their bed in a week. A father is experiencing panic symptoms while preparing his children for school. A young woman is using substances in a way that feels dangerous to her. These are people in crisis. They are not the worried well. Their conditions are complex and acute. They require the expertise of a psychiatrist who can assess possible medical causes for their problems, manage withdrawal, prescribe medications when needed, and connect with other providers. Some of the people who call seeking help are already in a good talk therapy program. And sometimes it's their psychotherapists, highly skilled psychologists, and licensed clinical social workers who call to be sure I understand how much their patient is struggling. Before the pandemic, I could almost always help. I would be able to find time to meet someone for a consultation or make a few calls to secure the right referral. But now, my every available hour, even those that stretch my ability to meet my obligations to my family, is full. My colleagues tell me the same. They're starting earlier, working later, contending with long wait lists and their own limits. All the while, patients in crisis are going without psychiatric help. That was Kristen Drake reading from her first opinion essay, Healthcare Needs New Ways to Create More Psychiatrists and Other Physicians. I'll bring you our conversation after a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Angus McCauley, Chief Operating Officer at STAT. I'm joined by Peter Shen, Global Head of Research and Development for Johnson & Johnson MedTech, to discuss the latest on healthcare R&D. Thanks for having me, Angus. MedTech research and development elevates human health and enriches patients' lives by creating meaningful innovation that is smarter, less invasive, and more personalized for better outcomes. Our global team is working relentlessly to become a patient-centered, growth-focused innovator that is elevating standard of care we are evolving into an integrated and digitally powered medtech company. Experience tells us that a big challenge won't be solved by single discipline. Here at the J&J MedTech, we are uniquely positioned to lead the way using a collaborative, multidiscipline approach to innovation. Thanks, Peter. To learn more, visit jnjmedtech.com. That's jnjmedtech.com. Welcome to the First Opinion Podcast. I'm Pat Skerritt, editor of First Opinion, stats platform for articles written by biotech insiders, healthcare workers, researchers, and others with interesting or illuminating or provocative perspectives to share about the life sciences writ large. It's so great to talk with you, Kristen. Thank you, Pat. It's great to be here. So it sounds like you and the majority of psychiatrists in the U.S. are stretched pretty thin, Kristen. Tell me what your average workday looks like. I, um, I start quite early in the, in the morning. I start seeing patients uh, at 7 um, and, I, and I take care of patients uh, right through until the late afternoon, um, I hinted, I hinted at my 
you know, my family obligations. I have I have two little kids um, in school and some days it's it's my day to pick them up. Um, so I see that I see patients right up until I have to you know, run out the door um, to to get to school pick up. How old are your children? They're six and eight. And so they don't exactly understand the limits of, uh, you know, a parent's work, do they? I think before COVID, I, I did a decent job of not having them have to. But um, but but these days, you know, there are a lot of pickups I, I, I can't do, a lot of um, things I, I can't make. But I'd, I'd say those are the, that's not the that's not the worst part of it. I think my you know, my family, I'm in a lucky position and I have people who can fill in for me and we're able to get to get help. Um, the worst the worst part of it for me is is not being able to to look after all of the patients who need who need looking after. What's the kind of range of patients you work with? I um, I'm a psychiatrist, um, but I have a psychotherapy practice, which is a little bit a little bit atypical. So I see all of my patients in psychotherapy, um, which means I, I um, see people weekly or even twice a week. Um, and my um, my area of particular specialty is perinatal uh, psychiatry. So I hmm. see people who are you know, planning a pregnancy or anticipating a pregnancy or a pregnant or in the postpartum period. Um, that's about half or so of my practice at any time. And the rest is the general range of, of psychiatric difficulties, mainly mood, anxiety, and substance use difficulties. Do you find yourself having more patients or needing to spend more time since the pandemic emerged or, or is that unchanged? Yes, I think you know we're seeing, and and, I, and my colleagues as well are seeing, you know, people who had been doing pretty well and 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 weren't needing to come in every week, you know, had sort of graduated out of that that intensity of a treatment into you know checking in once a month or every few months for medication management. Um, I think over these last two years, you know, people are wanting needing more appointments, more frequent appointments, more frequent, um, urgent appointments, you know, unscheduled, uh, in addition to their usual, usual rhythm. Also, um, a lot of people who had been in treatment in the past and, you know, are, are sort of coming back and, and seeking care again as, as they should. And some of that is caused by the pandemic or is pandemic related? I think so. I think that, you know, the, the, the stresses that families and, and individuals are, are under, um, a lot of grief and loss, um, a lot of disruption in the usual rhythm of, of the day of there have been job losses. And, um, I think that that's been extremely disruptive for people who are already, you know, having to manage, uh, a psychiatric condition. So I think there's a subset of people who are you know, more vulnerable at their baseline because of a psychiatric condition that they were, you know, managing very carefully. But um, so many of the of the you know coping mechanisms and and systems of support have been disrupted during COVID. So those people are suffering more. Um, substance use is up, and so that's disruptive um, to people's ability to manage their symptoms. And then, and then I think um, there's a new sort of. Um, a group of people who hadn't been experienced, hadn't in the past experienced very much in the way of psychiatric symptoms who are, who are newly experiencing them in the context of all of this stress. I think in my practice, especially, you know, parents, um, 
and and new parents, you know, with we know that support is extremely important to prevent peripartum mood and anxiety disorder. So um, support is hard to come by during COVID. And it's just plain old hard not to be anxious about this whole thing. Yes. Yes, I agree. And the levels of anxiety and stress. And as I said, like the ways in which we are able to manage that, you know, I think I think that a lot of the people who end up seeking care now, you know, had they been able to manage in the ways that they were pre-pandemic, they, they wouldn't be as suffering as much as they are. You mentioned in the um, in the excerpt you read at the beginning that you could almost always find time to meet somebody for a consultation or make a few calls to secure the right referral. Is that changing also? I mean, if you're stretched this thin, your colleagues must be too. So is it getting harder and harder to refer people to the care they need? Yes. Yes. And I, I think it's an important function of us. You know, psychiatric care is hard enough to access. And I think, um, unfortunately, people still really have to rely on, you know, word of mouth and um, and and good, you know, sort of personal referrals. And so and I think it's part of our job to to do that. Um, but even the time to do that, you know, I like like I'm I'm taking care of patients in every moment of my of my practice time. You know, before it was I'd have an hour or two of administrative time, and I could make phone calls, and I could you know call colleagues and hear what was going on with them, and make a you know make a very tailored um, referral. Uh, and, I, and I still do try to do that. It just it, it takes longer. Um, the referral is maybe not as as great a fit and the and the waits are the waits are much longer. How often do you have to tell somebody, I'm so sorry, but I just can't take new patients right now? Oh, uh, every day I, I have to say that. And when is having to give that response the most wrenching? I think when you know uh, a lot of um people seek me out. I didn't I didn't write about this. But I'm a I'm a black woman psychiatrist and there aren't there aren't, unfortunately, um, as many Black women psychiatrists as as there should be, um, and certainly not enough to care for all of the patients who um, are looking for um, a psychiatrist of color or a Black woman in particular. Um, so I think, of course, you know, patients who are um, who are really suffering. Um, it's difficult to say to everyone, you know, that I can't that I can't take them on. Um, but for people, you know, in the, in those cases, I can, I can provide uh, an alternative, you know, it's very hard to provide uh, an alternative black woman psychiatrist. So when people say, you know, I really wanted to see you, I sought you out um, because of, of our shared identity or um, because I think that, that that is what I need in order to feel comfortable I, I find that very difficult. So here you are trying to provide help to people, and sometimes that causes you some anguish when you can't do it. How do you protect your own mental health in what sounds like a stressful job under any circumstances? It is. I, luckily, you know, we're trained for this. This is part of our our training is, is looking after ourselves. I tell um, trainees and students this all of the time that I think you can probably be a pretty good dentist, like technically good dentist if you um, and and not like your job very much, you know, but but you, you really no good as a as a psychiatrist and psychotherapist if you're not um, 
pretty satisfied, pretty happy with your, with your work. And so, um, we do that, you know, by way of routine as psychiatrists in all kinds of ways. We have, um, peer supervision groups. We, um, it's very ordinary, you know, to call a colleague and, um, to download about, about your day as a way to, to manage the stresses. Of course, you know, we do it confidentially, but it, but it helps a lot to talk about, um, the difficult parts of, of work. And again, it's, it's a very ordinary part of our profession. And so, and so we do that. I will say, you know, we're, we're, we're having to do that, like, very efficiently, you know, lately, um, and without, without too much, um, time to spare, but, but it's important. So we make time for it. So you wrote your essay to draw attention to the shortage of psychiatrists. We've been hearing about shortages of physicians in various specialties like primary care and pediatrics. Do you think the shortage of psychiatrists is a bit unique? I do for a couple of reasons. You know, I think, um, there's some urgency because the population of psychiatrists is uh, older than the general population of physicians. And also it's growing uh, a bit more slowly than, than other subspecialties. We, we have a challenge with this. Um, it's improving, but still a challenge um, attracting students and, and trainees to the field. I, it's a, I struggle with this. I, I think it's a wonderful career and there's obviously such a need um, for psychiatrists. There's opportunity to have tremendous impact um, on people's lives and on, on, on our communities. Um, but we struggle a bit, I think, um, conveying that to the younger generation and, and encouraging people to, um, to join the profession. So there's that. And then um, th- that's sort of from the population perspective, there's a growing um, crisis in America you know, uh, of people reporting psychiatric symptoms, mainly depression and anxiety, um, also substance use difficulties. Um, and increasingly, I think I wrote about this in the essay, um, our colleagues, you know, there's a, there are a lot of, um, healthcare workers are struggling with their mental health. And so, um, I think it's critically important that they have access to, to care. It must be difficult to help patients with their mental health issues if one's own mental health is somewhat tenuous. That's, that's gotta be a, either impossible or difficult. I, I think so. I think so. I, I also think um, for our colleagues and other specialties, I mean, I think caring for people in any way as a physician is so demanding of the self um, that increase in, in psychiatric symptoms and needs among among healthcare workers is um, is really important to address. It's our job. You know, we're trained from day one that like you you have to sort of leave your stuff outside of the treatment room. Like you can't, you have to be um, in really good shape psychologically to, to offer good, good psychiatric care. Um, and, you know, that's been, that's, it's, it's been interesting, I think, to go through the pandemic together with patients. I've heard other mental health providers speak about this, that we're, you know, we're sort of all going through this at the same time. And, you know, that's a new addition. Usually we don't, you know, uh, part of the part of the function of, um, you know, the neutrality of the psychotherapist is that, you know, you it's not a social it's not a social relationship. So 
So my patients come in and talk to me about themselves and I don't talk to them about me. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's part of the, part of the process. Um, but it's been, you know, of course, impossible to ignore that we're all going through this. It's challenged my opinion about this a little bit and that it's, I think it's, I've come to know that it's okay, you know, for, for patients and even can be therapeutic for patients to like check in on their therapist. Like I know there's a, you know, how's your family doing? Is everybody safe? You know, is, um, are you safe? Have you been well? Those kinds of things I think can actually be quite, quite useful between patient and therapist. This might be a small silver lining to the pandemic. It sounds like you're saying it may change the relationships between provider and patient a little bit. Perhaps. Yes. Yes, perhaps. And our, you know, our our rigidity around <laughs> around around these kinds of interactions. Like I think it's it's we have learned that it's okay to be um more more human um in these in these relationships. But the point that you made, you know, it, 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 we have to stay on the right side of it being burdensome for patients. You mentioned that the population of psychiatrists is growing slowly and, and it's a challenge to kind of recruit new psychiatrists. Does, does pay come into this at all? I, I don't know. How are psychiatrists paid, you know, on the scale of uh, hip surgeons compared to pediatricians? I, um, in between closer to pediatrician than surgeon. Um, I think, you know, psychiatrists make like in, in the range of what, uh, primary care type specialists make, non-surgical specialties, um, make. I think there's, a, I think there's a lot of it is sort of, is, is stigma related. You know, there's a, a feeling that it's not, quite uh, a real thing like psychiatric <laughs> psychiatric practice that it's um you know it's not as accepted not as respected in in many communities um in new york you know we we struggle with that less than in other places but um certainly you know the sort of when you're a medical student and you're just you know wide-eyed in the hospital the 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 North star of the sort of surgeon who swaggers through the hospital, you know, and the, and the images of a psychiatrist who's kind of, you know, wild haired and with <laughs> suede elbow patches and is a little bit of a, a different character. I think, I think we have a PR problem with that. We need a few rock stars in the, um, in the psychiatry pantheon, it sounds like to inspire people. I think so. I'm, you know, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that, though that that the you know the younger generations will will respond to um to this crisis and know that you know mental health is is incredibly important like all of the trauma that that people have experienced during covid you know we're going to be treating for years and years so um i hope that i hope that they will see that and uh and respond so the Association of American Medical Colleges says the two main drivers of physician shortages are population growth, an extra 10% um, growth in the next 20 years, and a 40% plus increase in the number of Americans over age 65. So those two are going to combine to increase the population of people who need care even without a pandemic. You had a few possible fixes 
and and you were focused ma- mainly on psychiatrists, but I'm betting that many of the solutions that you proposed would work for other specialties as well. Yes, I think so. I, I think, you know, while we have a difficult time encouraging people to be psychiatrists, there are more people who want to be psychiatrists than are able to um, obtain spots for the full course of training that's required. So medical school um, and then a residency training spot in psychiatry. It's a, a four-year residency program. Um, and so I think that, you know, the combination of, of highly selective medical school admissions and then highly competitive residency um, match application certainly leaves out qualified people who could be serving patients. Of course, of course, you know, there's a reason why medical school admissions are selective. Like it's an incredibly important responsibility and you need to have um, students who have very high ability um, and very high level of sort of social responsibility to, to meet the demands of being a physician, you know, give your life to being a physician. But, but my impression is that there are many students, young people who are, who are willing to do that um, and that we have become sort of too um, precious and cautious um, in, in who we're willing to give a chance to train. I'm, I come at this from a point, a point of being very confident in medical training. Like I think it's just this incredible process. Um, I, I grew up into a doctor in this process. And so I believe in it so wholeheartedly. I think, I think we can train, um, you know, more people than just the tippy top of a handful of classes and the, the tippy top of, um, the MCAT, um, percentiles um, to be really amazing physicians. But this is also this is also a problem for residency as well. You said that that it's even more difficult to get a, a psychiatry residency. Um, and just to explain to readers who may not be familiar, if I have this right, residency is something that um, every newly minted doctor must complete in order to practice medicine in the US. And if you don't get a residency, you can't practice medicine. And that's, some people don't get matched to residency after four years of medical school. What happens to them? It's it's very difficult for those, for those students. Actually, they enter this place that's um, really unfortunate um, where students end up, you know, some people take a year or so and, and do research or, um, and sort of improve their chances, improve their applications and they apply again and they get a spot. Um, but, but some people don't. And so then, you know, you're sort of left without a way to use the degree that you completed. I mean, these are medical school graduates, medical school is extremely expensive and you sort of um, make that investment assuming that you'll have a certain earning potential on the other side. And there people have different, you know, concerns about physician compensation, but among, you know, the general population of workers, like we're very well compensated. And, um, and so it's a safe bet to spend a lot of money on your education. If you think you'll have a steady 
job as a physician, but without it, it's, you know, it's catastrophic for students. Are there any efforts underway to increase the number of residency slots? There are. There are. There's um, um, a, a small sort of number of a small increase as part of the um, the Build Back Better Act it's called the Pathway to Practice uh, training programs that in, uh, increases the number of residency training spots by 1,000 across the country, which is that's a less than 1% expansion. Um, and it's not scheduled to be complete for uh, four more years, I think, until until 2026. So that seems that seems quite insufficient for what we for what we need. There's a larger act, the Resident Physician Shortage Act of, of 2021, which would um, provide 14,000 new residency training programs. It's it's uh, spaced out over seven years, um, but still, you know, that sounds like a, a larger number. Um, certainly it's better than the 1,000, but that would yield um, still just 700 additional psychiatrists um, once the program is in full swing. And that's because that's the like ratio of psychiatrists to other physicians. Yep. Yeah. Right now, right now, um, psychiatry training programs represent 5% of the, of the residency training spots, uh, in the country. I'm just going to switch gears for a second. Stat and others have written about the extraordinary wait times inside emergency departments and outside of them especially for kids and adolescents to get inpatient care for acute mental health crises. How does the lack of psychiatrists play into this? Yes, um, these are the very same uh, doctors, you know, who provide care in, in those settings. What's required to be a child and adolescent psychiatrist is um, an additional two years of, of fellowship training after um, the adult, we call it an adult residency. Um, so if the, so the, the, the pathway to that is even, is even more narrow. Um, and there's another competition process. Now that one is a little bit less, you know, I think people are, programs are, are more willing to sort of trust a fully trained, um, adult psychiatrist, you know, that by that point, a person has been able to show themselves to, to function as a physician. There's a little bit less guesswork and, and more, um, uh, and more opportunity for an applicant to show, you know, how they how they work. Um, but still, it's a tremendous amount of time for for trainees, and so um, the shortage of child and adolescent psychiatrists is is tremendous. Let me wrap up with a, a question, kind of opening the lens here. There's a whole range of mental health caregivers psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, psychiatric nurse practitioners, primary care physicians and family nurse practitioners and therapists, and I could go on. Are these, are there also shortages in these career paths and, or can they somehow help fill the gap? 
Yes, I think so. And I, and I think they are. I mean, my impression of this moment is that everyone is sort of functioning at their full capacity and trying to help patients with psychiatric needs. Um, it's, it's the patient, um, like I described, who's, who's, who's the most complex, who really requires a psychiatrist. Um, but I think, of course, we're hearing also about, you know, very long wait times for, um, uh, to get an appointment with a psychologist or a clinical social worker, um, for psychotherapy. So I, I don't, I don't think that there's give in the system that could fill, that could fill the gap right now. Um, primary care physicians are also providing a tremendous amount of psychiatric care right now. And I think, and I think doing rather a good job of it. There are just, there are just, um, too many patients for all of us, you know, it, um, and appropriate patients for all of us. You know, the situation makes me feel or make, makes me think of the old, you know, aphorism about how long it takes to turn an aircraft carrier. We need, you know, everybody needs help now, but the solutions are years down the road, aren't they? They are. They are. And some of the legislation we were talking about will sort of produce the first um, larger sized class in 10 years. We'll take that. I think I think the best we can do now is to um, is to do everything we can to um, improve the improve the numbers. Um, I also hope that, you know, my my colleagues who are considering retiring will hold off a little bit, a little bit longer. (laughs) All these solutions. Well, Kristen, I hope that you and other psychiatrists get the help that you need for the patients that you're trying to um, work with and that you all get through the next few months without burnout or your own mental health crises. Thank you, Pat. Thank you for listening to the First Opinion Podcast. It's produced by Teresa Gaffney. Alyssa Ambrose is the senior producer, and Rick Burke is the executive producer. I love to hear from listeners. Let me know which First Opinion contributors you'd like to hear on the show or what topics the podcast should take on. You can do that by sending an email to first.opinion at statnews.com. And if you have a minute, please leave a review or rating on whichever platform you use to get your podcasts. That's it for now. Be well during this strange and uncertain time.